1 John chapter number 1. Uh, we're in our second lesson, our second lesson of the series on the power of prayer. And we're going to talk tonight. Uh, it's actually some, a subject that, uh, that I've practiced and I've counseled people to do, but I don't think I've ever taught a Bible study on it. And to be, to be in, in this as long as I have, I'm kind of surprised I hadn't taught a Bible study on it yet. But we're going to talk tonight about praying the Word of God. So if you're in 1 John chapter number 1 and verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, say amen. amen. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Amen. That's a powerful two verses, isn't it? Amen. And so I want to talk to you tonight about praying the word of God. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's in our class, everyone that's joining online. God, all of our classes, our youth, our children, our, our juniors, and all of our grow and discipleship classes. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your anointing would be with each teacher and every student. Anoint this session tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Before we get into the two verses that we chose as a launching point for this evening, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of James. Um, the book of James. We're going to go there in just a moment, and uh, I want to uh, I want to talk about James, and then uh, I'll quote you a verse from Acts 15, and then we'll get into James. But James is to me one of the most interesting characters in the entire Bible. Um, the Epistle of James is is uh, is is one of the most foundational. When it comes to pastoral epistles, uh, James is where we get some of the protocol we use when we have church. It was James that said, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint his head with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It was James that told us about how dangerous that a unbridled tongue can be. And so James is one of my personal favorite. There's a that that passage about the about anointing with oil. I've actually been studying three verses from James chapter number five for over three years. I've written about thirty pages of uh, of twelve point single face single spaced study, um, trying to make sure I really got a good grasp on it. I still, after all that, don't think I have enough of a grasp to actually do the Bible study yet. But when I do, I'll probably break it into about 40 sessions or two. Um, but, uh, but James is one of my favorite. There were several Jameses, Jameses mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, there's James, the brother of John, James, the son of Alphaeus, and then James, who was the younger brother of Jesus. Most scholars believe that the book of James was authored by James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, from what we can get from the scripture, 
was the oldest of at least seven children of Mary and Joseph. James is always enlisting of, his, of Jesus' siblings. James is always mentioned first. And so most assume that James is the next oldest after Jesus. Anyway, this James was converted after the resurrection. Uh, you would think that, that he would have followed before, but there's no record of him following Jesus until after the resurrection. But after the resurrection, James became very prominent in the New Testament church. Paul named him along with Peter and John as one of the pillars of the church in Jerusalem in Galatians 2. He also, when representatives were sent from the Jerusalem church to Galatia, Paul said that they came not from Jerusalem. He said they came from James. And, and so it appears that James was the one that had the authority to send and to receive for the church. When Peter was divinely released from prison by an angel in Acts chapter number 12, James was the only one that Peter asked to be informed about it. He trusted James apparently more than anyone else. James chaired the Jerusalem Council. If you study the book of Acts, the first serious doctrinal dispute in the early church was on a subject that uh, historians have called the Judaizers. It was a group of people that said every Gentile that came into the apostolic church had to obey the law of Moses, and it became a big controversy, so much so that Acts 15 said that all the pastors and the elders and the leaders came to Jerusalem, and, and I like the way that King James is sort of uh, polite about it. He said they had no small disputation. If you have no small disputation, what does that mean? It means you had a big disputation. And, uh, and, and apparently it got fairly heated from time to time. And, uh, and so both sides argued. Paul argued. Peter argued for the same side. Um, there were some that withstood to the face. It was, if you read Acts 15, it was quite, it was quite a meeting. And, uh, but when both sides debated and argued their points, and this was a major issue because they brought in from all the land, from all the churches. Some of them traveled several days by foot to get there. And so for them to make that kind of investment, this is a big deal. And so they all argued. Paul argued. Peter argued. They all gave their arguments and their points and their, and, and their, their, their beliefs. But when it came down to it, Acts 15 and 19 said, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. You know who said that? It was James. When it all came down to it, James said, this is my sentence. James was the one that had the final authority to set what decision that they came out of that meeting with. And so James is a prominent and important person when it comes to New Testament doctrine, theology, and practice. Uh, Paul visited James, when he went to Jerusalem in Acts 21 and took advice from him. And so when James spoke, it mattered. And when James spoke, it was considered something that everybody in the church needed to do and obey. 
This is important because you need to know that the advice that James gives and the instructions that he gave were considered to be as strong and right as any from anyone, especially because all the leaders of the church, we know Paul wrote most of the New Testament. We know that, uh, that John wrote the Gospel of John and is credited with the three epistles. We know that Simon Peter has two books. Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. But all those other people, when it came down to a major decision, James was the one that made the decision. And so it's important to understand the weight that James carries in the New Testament church. Here's what James had to say about prayer. James chapter 4 and verse number 3. Here's what he said. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Can I tell you tonight that prayer is an absolute privilege? For God to invite us to talk to him is an absolute privilege. I remember, I remember over the years I've had, I've had a knack for meeting famous people my, for my whole life. Um, I've met politicians, presidents, actors, um, sports, uh, sports people. I, I was sitting in Atlanta, Georgia in a hotel concierge room. And I was sitting and I was talking to a very, a very uh, nice-looking, polite, very kind, older gentleman. And, uh, and we talked for probably an hour, had this long conversation. And when he left, everyone in the room said, you know him? And uh, I said, just met him in here. People I didn't even know were asking me if I knew him. And I said, I just met him when I came in here, sat down, and we started talking. And they told me it was George Hamilton. And I said, who's George Hamilton? Turned out he's some famous movie star. I've always had a knack for meeting famous people. And when, when, when that happened, those people were amazed that I talked to him. They thought maybe we were friends or something. I was in an airport one time, and one of the actors from the, the TV show Friends we sat down, we were sitting in the area, and we, we were chit-chatting a little bit. And when he left, people said, you, you're, you and him are friends? And I said, I don't even know who he is. But for the God that created everything to ask us into a conversation. Now, you all know good and well that if you got a call from a president or from a famous sports uh, person or a famous actor, and you got a call and they said, we want you to come and spend a little bit of time with us, you know good and well that you'd tell everybody you know about it, wouldn't you? you? I see some of you being honest and nodding your head, and the rest of you just don't want to admit it. But you know, you tell everybody, so-and-so called and asked me to, the God that created everything, the God that made everything and keeps it working, the God that breathed life into every creature, has invited you and I on a daily basis to have conversations with him any time we want to. It's a privilege. Prayer literally brings the power of heaven down to earth. 
We're blessed to serve a God that invites us to pray. But not only does he invite us to pray, he promises to hear our prayers. And then he answers them in his timing, his wisdom, and in his way. But a God that asks us to pray, well, what then should we ask for when we pray? Even though God invites us to pray and to seek his face, the Holy Ghost has anointed the Apostle James to write this verse, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. The same Spirit of God that calls us to pray is the same Spirit of God that said, James, you need to write this verse down. You ask and receive not. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive to the rest of what the Bible talks about prayer? Ask what you will and it shall be done. Say to this mountain, be thou removed. And yet the same Holy Ghost that inspired those verses told James to sit down and take pen to parchment and write, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. So what? Does God want me to pray for? If he wants me to pray, but he don't answer prayers that are amiss, then what does he want me to pray for? He said, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. That word lust means sensual delight or desire or pleasure. When you see lust mentioned in the Bible, it's not always referring to sexual lust. In this passage, it's referring to any selfish desire. James said, you ask for things so that you can consume it on your own desires. You're asking for things for you, not for the kingdom. James was instructing the church that the reason they pray and don't get what they're asking for was because they're asking for the wrong things. Have you ever prayed for something and then realized later that God was so good not to give it to you? Years ago, when I was 19, I started talking to a beautiful girl. Brother R.B. Bingham, some of you remember Brother R.B. Bingham and Brother Bobby Zaz, a few of you may remember him. They, try, they were trying to fix me up with her. And uh, they, kept, they kept trying to talk me into talking to her. And so she and I started talking, and then we started dating, and then we got engaged. And then pretty soon after we got engaged, um, I realized she wasn't the right one. But I was engaged to her. And uh, I knew it wasn't going well, and I had a sense that it was not the right thing. After she and I broke up, almost everyone I knew said, we knew she wasn't right. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me? So when I realized this is not going the way that, that it probably needs to, I began to pray earnestly that God would make it work out. I didn't pray that God would give me the resolve to follow his will. I didn't pray that God would reveal his will to me. I prayed that God would make my will his will. 
Basically, I prayed hours a day, God, give me what I want. And I am so glad that he didn't give me what I want. I was praying for the wrong thing. James would have said, look, you're asking and not getting because you're asking amiss because you want what you want, but that's not what God wants. That word amiss, it means to, that because you're asking badly or a, it actually means diseased in one sense, that there's like, like our requests have a disease about them. They're evil, miserable, they're sick, they're improper. We're asking for the wrong things. That word amiss actually comes from a Greek root word that means worthless. We're asking for worthless things. It means injury, injurious or harmful. The root word goes on to state that it's of a bad nature, not as, that it should not be our mode of thinking, feeling, or acting. It's when we're asking for something that we shouldn't even be asking for. Amen. I'll tell you, I'll finish my story about the girl I was engaged to. She was so pretty, I just didn't want to break up with her. And, uh, and I knew I needed to, and I knew I needed to for weeks and, uh, and didn't do it. And I was preaching in Carlsbad, New Mexico for brother and sister Carson. And uh, their son David and I, they were twins. David was dating one of them and I was dating the other. And uh, the one I was dating was prettier. And uh, I, I, better, I better just cut that part out right there. But, but she was right. And, uh, and while I was preaching for them, she had a dream one night that scared her to death. And that morning in their house at their kitchen table drinking a cup of coffee, she cried while she told me, Brother John, that's not right for you. And she told me her dream, and I knew right then that, uh, that I needed to call it off. And uh, I would have done it that minute, but I'm so old we didn't have text messages back then. <laughs> and so text messages meant getting out a piece of paper and a pen, but I waited till I saw her again. And, uh, but, but I was asking for the wrong thing. I was asking for something that would have been troublesome and injurious to me. So there's a lot to unpack there, but let's sum it up and say that when you ask amiss, you're asking for things that are not good for you. Not necessarily wicked things, but just things that God knows are not his will for you. And James said, you ask and don't receive. Have you ever asked God for something and got a little bit aggravated because he didn't do it? And then realize later, that you're better off that he didn't do it? Amen. God knows what he's doing. And so James, the one that all the leaders look to to make decisions, he said, here's the problem. You're asking amiss. So then that leads us to the important question. What kind of things am I supposed to ask for when I pray? Let's go to 1 John, the text that we brought, that we started with tonight. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him. 
that if we ask anything, he heareth us. Is that what it said? Did anybody catch that? If we ask anything, he heareth us. Is that what it says? No. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. You ever, you ever go to a restaurant and you're sitting close to a table that don't know how to control their kids? And you're trying to eat and they're running laps around you? And you're like, and they don't even notice it. I mean, they're so used, they don't even notice it. They're like in oblivion about it. And, and it's all I can hear. That's sort of how God is. When I'm praying amiss, I'm his kid, he's not even hearing me. That's what it says. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if it's his will, he'll hear us. And if he hears us, verse 15, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And so if we ask in his will, he'll hear us. And if he hears us, we'll have the answer. We pray with faith that he'll hear an answer, but the caveat is that we have to ask according to his will. But how do I know what the will of God is when I pray? How do I know what the difference between what my heart wants and what God's heart wants? How do I know that my mind is in the right place, that my spirit's in the right place? I know you all have always, you, you're hiding your halos right now, but there's been times when I hadn't had the right spirit and the right mind, that my thinking wouldn't. I thought I needed this, but God knew I needed that. And I was praying for what I thought I needed, thinking that I was, that I was doing what I was, but how do I know God's will when I pray? One of the most misused and misinterpreted phrases in the entire Bible is when people say, God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, that's only a little bit. That's only a little bit of what the Bible says. The Bible does say he'll give you the desire of your heart, but that's not the whole context. People take that to say that God will give you whatever your heart really wants. Let's try it, God. When I get to the house tonight, let there be a Land Rover, a Range Rover, a Tesla, an Escalade, and a Brinks truck backing up. Lord, that's the desire of my heart. Oh, Lord, I hope it's his will. If it is, we're moving in out there sooner than we think. And I'm having a car sale tomorrow. That little, that little silly act I just went through reveals how silly it is to think that way, isn't it? But there's people that legitimately say that. So how do I know I'm praying the will of God? How do I know that what my heart wants is right? Let's, let's go ahead and deal with the rest of that verse. Psalms 37, 4 and 5. 
Delight thyself also in the Lord. Everybody say delight. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto him. Everybody say commit. Trust also in him. Everybody say trust. And he shall bring it to pass. You notice the three words that I emphasized. Those three words are not God's responsibility. Those are my responsibility. Delight, commit, and trust. Delight means to be soft and pliable. The original Hebrew means to be soft and pliable by God. Like clay that can be moved easily. It means to be happy about, to take delight, exquisite delight in. So the first prerequisite to getting the desires of your heart is this question. Can God mold your heart and desires to his will? Can God mold you to want what he wants? Does your true delight come from him and his will? Secondly, commit. Commit means to trust and to give oneself oneself wholly, completely. Its actual, its actual Hebrew definition means to roll, R-O-L-L. It gives the impression of rolling into, like when you would take clay or dough and you roll it until it's fully incorporated together. Commitment, to commit yourself to him, means to let your will get so rolled into his that it's completely incorporated with him. Finally, to trust. To trust means to be confident or sure, to be bold and secure. It means to be careless in the sense that you don't worry about it because you have complete confidence in who takes care of you. Trust is to be so secure in God and of God that you are careless, that Whatever he does, you're going to be all right. You don't even really care what he chooses for you because you have confidence that it's best for you. That can go all the way back to Abraham. Remember Abraham and Lot? When God says, Abraham, you pick where you want to go. And wherever you pick, I'm going to bless you. And, uh, and Abraham has so much trust in God. He says, I'll let Lot pick. And so Lot looked across the land and he saw the dry desert areas. And then he saw as the ground began to turn green in the well-watered plains of Jordan. And Lot said, I'm going that way. And so Abraham turns and goes towards the desert. And as he goes towards the desert, Abraham has complete trust that God can make something out of these rocks and sand. Because he is completely trustworthy, trusted in God. Now back to the original question. How do I know I'm asking for God's will? He'll give me the desires of my heart. Now what I believe that verse is saying is that if I delight in him and I commit to him and I trust in him, then he'll change the desires of my heart to be what he wants me to, to, be, to have. It's not that he'll give me what my heart desires, but he'll make me desire the right things. 
How do I know I'm asking for his will? One thing we know for certain, God will never violate his word. It's forever settled in heaven. If it's in God's word, then it's settled. And God will never violate his own word. We can always ask God for things that are promised by his word. Isaiah 43 and 26, here's what the Lord said. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. God said, put me in remembrance. Remind me of what I said to you and promised you. Not because God forgets his promises, but he requires us to access them by faith. And then to exercise that faith by prayer and praying and asking him. But God said, here's your job. You remind me what I promised you, and I'll do it. Let's go to Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. I know the media people were getting nervous because they saw the long list of verses I gave them, and they saw how long it took to get rolling. But now we're rolling. We're doing all right. Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. If you found it, say amen. For as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven, and turneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now, if you look at verse 11, I like the emphatic words that God uses. So shall. I like when God says shall. He said, so shall my word be. What's he saying my word's going to be like? Look at verse 10. As the rain cometh down and snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So what does rain and snow do? What does rain and snow do? The Bible said it waters the earth. It makes, the, it, makes it to bring forth. That's talking about the seed, the grain, the fruit of the earth and bud, and it gives seed to the sower. Why? And then bread to the eater. So God's word through process brings bread. It waters the earth. What's the difference between rain and snow? One's cold and one's not as cold. But how do they water the earth? One waters the, wor the earth instantly and one waters the, wor the world over time. Somebody, I, had a, I got a picture from Brother Stumbo in St. Petersburg, Russia today. It's snowing, he's driving, and there's snow all over the place. You know, it gets down to like 45 below zero over there. And uh, he said it's a winter wonderland. And I thought, well, it's beautiful in, in pictures. You know that snow? 
I grew up up north. We'd have, it seemed like winter lasted forever, cold, that snow, get on the ground and lay there for weeks and weeks and weeks. One time I was visiting my, my dad in the spring. It was like March. And, uh, and the mall parking lot, like they'll, they hire people to come plow the snow and they pile it into big, giant mounds of snow. And then as it warms up, those snow mounds slowly melt. And so my dad and I were driving through the snow, the, the mall parking lot, and there was a, a dirty, it, it looked black from all the dirt and the dust and all the, the grime that was on it. It was about this tall, and there were two little kids out there playing in the snow. I said, I guarantee you those, those kids are from the south. So I, I pulled over and I asked them, I said, where are you all from, Alabama? <laughs> because they, they, they were excited to see snow, even if it was black snow. One of the worst times of the year in cold winter climates is that season when it's all melting and it's laying everywhere. Your shoes get wet, they get stained, your pants, your cars are filthy all the time because that rain is, is melting and watering the earth, but it's taking time to soak in. Here's what God said. My word is like rain. Sometimes, as soon as it's spoken, it brings forth. He said, and sometimes it's like snow. It just sits there for a little while. But if you give it time, it's going to bring forth bread too. There's some things that God speaks to you, and as soon as he speaks it, he makes it happen. There's other things he speaks to you, and you have to be patient for the season to change. But when the season changes, it's going to water the earth and bring forth bread. He said, that's how my word is. And so my word, he said, it shall not return void. And it will bring forth, it will bud, and it will make bread, and it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing where I sent it. God said, my word is going to happen. And so when we pray, if we pray God's word, we know we're praying God's will. Let me read another verse to you, Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is quick. That word means alive. It's alive. And powerful. How many know the word of God is powerful? And sharper than any two-edged sword. How many has ever been cut by the word? Amen. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The word can separate. And the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intense of the heart. Sister Kim gave me a coffee mug Sunday, and, uh, and it's the coffee mug. I love it. It's sitting on my desk. It says, be careful or you'll end up in my sermon. And so somebody stopped by the office. It, the door was open. They peeked their head in, and they, I showed them what it, what it said, and they said, well, I'm in all your sermons. Here's what the Word of God does. It divides. Have you ever had a word come to you and you feel it start to separate some stuff inside of you? Maybe some things that you thought, some feelings you had, some, some, some directions you were going, and you felt that word come in, and all of a sudden you felt it start to separate 
some stuff? Anybody with me? Have I gone too long already? It's, it divides asunder the joints and the marrow. It separates things. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Have you ever had a message come to you and it reveals you didn't even know you thought a certain way and then the word comes and you're like, I didn't even, I didn't even realize. Anybody or just me? So that's what the word does. God's word puts into perspective what we need and what God wants us to have and what is the best for us. Abraham is called the father of faith. He believed God and the Bible said it was counted to him for righteousness. Here's what Paul in the book of Romans 4 and 21 said about Abraham. Here's what it said about Abraham. Romans 4, 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. If God said it, God can do it. Hallelujah. If God said it, God can do it. I'll say it again. If God's word says it, God can do it. Amen. If it's in the word, God can do it. And Abraham was fully persuaded. There's some things I pray that are my ideas, and when I pray them, I'm like, God, I don't know, but maybe. But when I'm praying something right out of the Bible, I pray it with faith because I know that what he said he can do, that what he promised he's able to perform it. God promised Mary she'd bring forth the Christ child. It doesn't matter how many times you pray that scripture. You got you to rightly apply the scripture, all right? You got to study the Bible so you know how to apply it. God promised Mary. You can read the verse in the Bible where God said you'll bring forth a son and that he'll be the Christ child. Well, you can pray that verse all you want, but you're not giving birth to Jesus. God told Moses that he's going to lead his people out of Egypt. You can pray that verse all you want, but you're not going to go to Egypt and lead them out. And so we don't just randomly open the Bible and pray what's ever on that page. I'm, I'm trying to, to counsel you now so that you don't begin to pray things that are outlandish or not in God's direction. But when God makes promises to his people and his church in total, you have the right to pray that promise. Very often when we struggle with faith, what we, what we see with our natural eyes trumps what our spirit sees. And so we speak things that are self-defeating. But when we speak the word of God, it overcomes what our natural eyes see. When you speak the wrong words because of what your natural man sees, it implies that you're not seeing with your spiritual eyes. And so what happens is you activate those negative spiritual forces that work against you. But when you speak God's promises, it activates faith. And God begins to move. A couple more passages, Ephesians 5 and 25. I'm going to get into this verse, and all the husbands are going to get uncomfortable. But just hold on. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it 
There's another verse. It's not relevant to the lesson I'm teaching, but I feel like saying it anyway. There's another place where the Bible said, Husbands, love your wives and be not hard against them, lest your prayers be hindered. I should have put that in here. Do you know that being mean to your wife can hinder your prayers? Boy, I know how it feels when you preach five seconds too long. <laughs> Woo, glory. Husbands, love your wives. Let's get back to Ephesians 5.25 before I throw all the men off the train tonight. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, pastor, that's a marriage verse, not a prayer verse. Well, let's go on. The next verse, verse 26, the very next verse that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So let's read these two verses together, 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. He gave himself for the church so that he can sanctify and cleanse it. With his word. He gave himself to sanctify it, to make it holy, to cleanse it, to clean it by the word. He didn't just die because he felt sorry for us. Grace is not a license to do whatever you want. Grace is not a a, like the Monopoly card that whenever you get in trouble, you play your get-out-of-jail-free card. He gave himself so that he would make us holy and cleanse us, and he does that by his word, by washing of water by the word. Next verse, verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Folks, the church is going to be glorious. It's not going to have spot. It's not going to have wrinkle. It's not going to have any such thing. And it's going to be holy and without blemish. And how is it going to get that way? By the washing of the water of the word. The word and praying the word is essential for us being prepared for heaven. Let me go a little bit further. 1 John 3, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What we ask, we receive because we keep commandments. You gotta keep the word of God. 2 Peter 3 and 9, I'm preaching fast. I know I threw you guys off the train when I talked that verse about husbands. So I'm trying to get to the end here. 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. In other words, God's not, God's not slack about his promises like some people think. In other words, if he don't give, me, give it to me now, he's slack. He said, that's how some men count it. But he's long-suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why did you give me this verse, Pastor? You changed gears on me. Here's why. 
Because God wants everybody to be saved. And so when you pray this verse, that God save people, you are praying the will of God. You may pray for other things. You may ask for this job, and it may not be God's will, and you may pray and don't know if it's God's will. You may want this raise, or you may want this thing or that thing, and you're praying for it, and, and it's not God's will. But when you pray that sinners come to repentance, you are absolutely praying the will of God because you're praying the word of God. I pray that God would work and do what he tells me to preach. When he gives me a message to preach and I work on the message, you know what I pray? I pray that God would make it work. Here's what I pray. I quote this verse, part of this verse, Mark 16 and 20, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. If you listen to me pray in the prayer room, you're gonna hear me pray, God, confirm your word with signs following. Because I pray that because he promised it in his word. And so when I preach what he gives me and I pray this, I believe God's going to work. I pray that God would open heaven and come down. You ever hear me pray that? God, open heaven and come down. Isaiah 64 and 1. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. You ever hear me pray a verse that says, God, without you, we can do nothing. God, we need you. God, I've got to have you. God, we need you to move. What I'm trying to do is get us to pray the promises of the word of God. Amen. When you're feeling down on yourself, anybody ever have those days when you feel a little bit down on yourself? Maybe your self-confidence is a little down, you're a little depressed. Pray Matthew 5.13, I am the salt of the earth. Pray Matthew 5, 14, I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus said you were. John 1, 12, I am a child of God. John 10, 27, I have eternal life. Anybody ever have times when you don't have a lot of peace and you're troubled and you have turmoil and you're tossing and turning? Man, the other day I woke up at 3.55, couldn't sleep. I was so uptight. I was so just uptight about stuff that was weighing on my mind. John 14, 27 tells me I have been given peace. And so I prayed, God, give peace that passes understanding. And about an hour later, he did, and I went to sleep. You ever feel like things in life are getting the best of you? Maybe you're losing and they're winning. Pray Romans 8, 37. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves us. Pray 1 Corinthians 15, 57. I am victorious through Christ. Thanks be to God which causes us always to triumph. Ever feel like maybe you're not on the firmest ground and you're wondering, if you're going to be able to survive, pray from 2 Corinthians 1.21 or Ephesians 1.13 and 14. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I've been given the Holy Spirit of promise. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ever feel weak? 
2 Corinthians 12 and 10. God, you said that I, you've given me strength for my weakness. Ever feel like you're never going to overcome the old man? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't know if I can do anything for God. Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't know if I'm getting anywhere spiritually. Ephesians 1.13 says we've been blessed with all manner of spiritual blessings. Ephesians 2 and 6, I've been raised up and seated with Christ. Ephesians 2.18, I have direct access to God through the Holy Ghost. Oh, God, I don't know if I, I don't know, God, if you really want me to pray and talk to you. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't have the right to pray. Well, here's what Hebrews 4.16 says. Come boldly before the throne of grace and find grace to help in the time of need. Oh, the devil, the devil's stronger than I am. No, Colossians 1.13. I've been rescued from the dominion of Satan. And I've been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. Y'all tired of this or do you want me to do a few more? My past, I, I've, I know I've been baptized. I know I've been, I know I've repented. I know I've tried to do better. But I feel like I'm never going to outlive my past. I'm never, I'm never going to be I'm never going to be able to do it. I'm never going to be able to outlive it. But Colossians 1.14 says that I've been forgiven for all my sins and the debt has been canceled. Colossians 2.17, I am rooted in Christ and built up in him. I'll never get it all together. Well, Colossians 2 and 10 says we are complete in him. I'm just giving you some stuff to pray about. Anybody deal with a lot of anxiety and fear? Pray 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Oh, I feel like saying that one again. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'm praying that because that's my promise. I'm praying the word. How about this one? We've been given exceeding great and precious promises, and we are partakers of his divine nature. 2 Peter 1 and 4. Stand with me, the last one, 1 John 5 and 8. I am born of God, and the devil cannot touch me. When I pray the word of God, I know I'm praying his will. As your eyes are closed all over this place and your hands are lifted to heaven. I tried in this last four or five minutes to bring verses that cover a variety of issues in life and spirit. And no doubt that many of you clung on to one of those things when I said it because it's speaking to where you are right now. 
whether you're listening at home live or later on some media or you're in this room right now, amen, I want you to begin to pray that whatever that promise was, that when I said it, it connected with your spirit. I want you to lift your hands to heaven. I want you to start to pray that promise over your life because when you pray the word of God, you're praying his will. When you pray the word of God, you can ask with faith because you know that God will never violate his word. I'm just trying to give somebody a little extra faith in your prayer life. That when you study the Bible and something jumps out as a promise to you, you don't just read it and move on from it, but you make it a matter of prayer because when you release the power of his word, sometimes it's like rain. It'll happen as soon as you speak it, and sometimes it's like snow, but when the season changes, it's going to bring bread to your life, and you can pray it with confidence. Abraham, the Bible said that he believed that what God said God would do. So I want you to pray it right now. Whatever that promise is, whatever it is, Amen. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. He said, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. You can pray the promises of God. Amen. He's my healer. He's my deliverer. He's my helper. God, I know. I know people are praying for various needs all over this place right now. But God, I'm going to pray the promise of your word that you'll bring sinners to repentance. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Lord, I thank you for it, and I praise you for it. God, help us to energize our prayer life by praying the promises of your word. Help us to study the scripture, rightly divide it, and apply it to our life in, the, in a godly way. Lord, I know that I know, God, that when we ask according to your will, you hear us, and we have those petitions that we've asked of you. Amen. Lord, I pray a blessing over this congregation tonight. Lord, over every class, every, every group in this church, Lord, all the grow classes, all the youth and children's classes, I pray a blessing over moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, teenagers and children, young couples. God, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray the promise of your word that you would make them the head and not the tail, and that you would bless them in such a way, God, that their friends and family would want what they have. Lord, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.